She's wearing a lilac knitted set of a shirt and a cardigan and a silk midi skirt of a berry jam color. An impossible color to university describe because every year the berries that you pick from the garden are tinted differently. The current beads of this year's harvest are translucently paler than last year. The raspberry pendants hanging from the leafy twigs are of the thickest pink velvet, like never before. The berries have one color when simmering away in the pot, and another one when sugaring in the glass jar on a storage shelf. The skirt reflects the light strokes and glistens along the random folds formed by her movements towards a bookshelf or a cluttered counter. The color of her shirt and cardigan, however, is thin and pale, just like the fabric itself, which can cling tightly to the shoulders and hang loosely at the brim. No jewelry swishing in the air, only the tiny heels of her boots whisper in the wooden floors. Her hair is smoothly tied in a low bun in homage to all the librarians romanticized in books and movies. Location. Bookshop. Occupation. Bookshop assistant. Inspiration. Books. Motivation. Helping out a friend by filling in for her for this afternoon shift. She has never worked at a bookshop before this day, all the books are her bread and water. When she was considering starting part-time at a bookshop last year, an opportunity to edit the regional heritage section in the local newspaper turned up. She accepted and had no more spare time to punctually hide from rain between the bookshelves. Oh, it's tapping on the windows now. This bookshop is the most important one of its kind in her small city, where life palpitates around a university, a gothic cathedral and a cobblestone street connecting them. The bookshop is painted into the continuous street house line checkered with wooden window frames, allowing an oil painting glimpse into the crafting, baking and writing miniatures. The locals reward the bookshop with insistent regularity for the love of literature, of heavy green doors and of paper-scented rooms. Some people inspect the long shelves in search of Chekhov's place as they plan to watch one in theater when they get off the train in the big city. Others jingle the bells at the door and saunter around idly with no particular title in mind, dazzled by the colorful book spines encrusting the walls. The bookshop is loved by everyone and is treated as a landmark. Illustrators bring here the seasonal postcards. The local tea company hosts pop-up tea tastings every Tuesday and Saturday, brewing meadow flowers and dried summer fruits. When they accept the invitation, the writers are greeted dearly by readers cramming into the attic room, furnished with assorted chairs, abandoned by their original owners. She looks around. The warm amber light is melting and flowing down from the ceiling onto the bookshelves. The gloomy November rain is pattering on the showcase window. She has already been instructed that she should not intrude into the intimate connection between a person and a book unless she is asked to do so. Maybe the unintrusive conduct of assistance makes this bookshop such a safe hideaway to keep quiet and watch the invisible stories unfold in front of your eyes. The stories, conjured up by three or four humble words, you pull out from an oak shelf. She drifts between the shelves, touching the textured book spines with the pads of her fingers. A pleasure of its sort is to open a book that you already have but in another edition and to live through the pages with a feeling of confusion as to why the lines dubbed as the Lemon Garden monologue are printed on the right at the center and not on the left at the bottom. She presses the book back and buttons her cardigan in the middle. The buttons would blend indistinctly into the lilac shadow if not burnished till a pearly shine.
She walks up to the shelves specially reserved for second-hand and vintage books which are deliberately not organized in any coherent manner. On these lacquered shelves, the distinguished dames and the fearless starlets coexist in a state of dormant void and have reconciled themselves to an idea that every book has its right to be loved. An occasional yearning to sobbingly laugh over, There is no your Henrietta anymore, should inflict no sense of guilt on shy readers, and a battered old book cover is capable of saving the blushing complexion caused by a prejudice against an undignified pastime. She pulls out a stout hardcover from between the coddling neighbors. It is the Thornbirds by Colin McCulloch, her favorite saga. The spark of her interest in the Australian ranch architecture and the justification, if ever, she sails away in a retreat to a scarcely populated island. She is holding the book in both hands with her thumbs placed symmetrically onto the front cover as if trying to fill the number of pages without seeing the digits scribbled in the corner of the last spread. She is holding the first edition of 1977 that she had found online years ago. She has never imagined that a sequence of events would one day deliver such book to her clasp. The book is clad in a dust jacket which has graciously matured through the years. The tiny slits in paper are crawling from the bottom upwards, like the trunk of a thorn tree blazing across the front cover art like a lightning. She lets the book's pliancy flip to a page spread which has lain open for the most time, for a reason which might be as sensitive as the most relished paragraph, or as banal as a lack of bookmark to save the page. It made him hungry to see Maggie, see if she was happy. This page spread is likely to have been stretched out for a sensitive reason. She pushes the thorn birds back where it was and lets her eyes hop up and down the humpy book lines. She lands her fingers on a soft cover book this time. It is of a cardboard color, slightly browned at the edges and whitened in the middle. The illustration on the front cover is sketched with bold lines and presents the Soviet absurdity styled by Ilya Ilf and Evgeny Petrov and titled The Twelve Chairs. A bureaucrat and a con man set out on a trip to find pricey priceless jewels sewn inside one of those twelve chairs. Mr. Teplov, thank you. She whispers, addressing the neighbor who had lived two doors and four windows away from her family dwelling. He was a simple reading old man, always there to lend a hand in the book. She was giving him English books other than Dickens and Conan Doyle, while he was giving her Russian books in English other than Pushkin and Tolstoy. She lives through the book and discerns the familiar names and locations braided into the fabric of letters. She rubs the corner of the pages 75-76 between the sides of her fingers to feel the silkily coarse texture of the yellowed paper. The pages of old books turn from crispy to dumply smooth after years into their biographies. She flips the book, relaxing her ears and face in an attempt to hear the soft brush between the two blocks of pages. You have to hear it, otherwise closing the book feels insignificant. I'm sorry, can you help me, please? She turns her head to the left and sees a face of a woman in her thirty-fifties with suprematist yellow narrow glasses pressed high up her nose. Sure, let's find a book. The woman is looking for something adventurous and something that will make her feel like she's traveling. I want to explore the culture I know little about. Together they drift along the aisle edged by piercing book spines looking around, dispersing their gaze into the particles of thin air lingering on the bookshelves. 
How do you feel about traveling to the Middle East? Great! I love baklava! I was thinking about going even more east, to Afghanistan. Sounds adventurous. You can try reading this one. She pulls out a smooth lilac brick from a colorful wall. Matching the book with a skirt, the woman smiles widely. She looks down at her silky skirt of the berry color and draws a broad grin on her face. Just a coincidence, she replies. She smooths a too conspicuous fold in her lap. The book she has picked is titled And the Mountains Echoed, and the rustle of the pages echoed in the hands of the woman in yellow glasses now holding it. I think you like it. Halid Hosseini, in my opinion, is one of the most exciting novelists today. Not tried prose at all, and very uplifting despite the settings in his books. Traveling experience, too. Is it about children? The woman points at the images of children on the book cover and pouts her lips. Not really. There are many significant characters in the book, and children grow up as the narrative unfolds. Good there are children in it. I'm fed up with the stupid adults. She smiles bashfully. Would you like to travel anywhere else? Just one place at a time. I'll buy when I return from where you're sending me to. She's coy about her not working in the bookshop. She just smiles. The heavy streaks of rain glide down the front windows. The colors of the streetlights get jumbled up in a blur. It is 7.27 in the evening. The time murmurs away languidly and rapidly. She's walking in a maze of bookshelves, returning the books back to their cradles. The gift paper whistles at the counter. The sound of black tea with milk spreads across the room. She shivers once at a tired stroke of cold and leans onto a low bookshelf with the newly published pages. She unbuttons a cardigan to breathe freely, button after button, which in the illuminated darkness vacillate between bluish and copperish. She casts a vast glance at the cluttered interior lit by amber warmth. The red and green streetlights ripple in reflective patterns in the fantasy books. Toffee wrappers swish in unison with distant, jaunty voices. She comes up to the counter and picks a toffee from a jar. Cup of tea? Thanks. Yes, please. With milk? Books have worn you out. Sorry, off. I did not expect it to be so, although I still want to actually read when I get back home. That is good. By the way, you can take any book you like except for pricey ones in Jane Austen. As a reward for your work today. She lifts her eyes up at Katie, the bookshop manager, and produces a shy smile. Actually, there is one book that interested me. Go on, fetch it. It's yours. Leaving the toffee half unwrapped, she scampers to the Spanish literature shelves and briskly blows away a book. Carlos Ruiz Afon, Marina. She walks back to the counter and turns the book to Katie, who, after tilting her head to one side, gives a toothy smile with her eyes gleaming through her round glasses. Good choice. She lets out a silent exhale and opens her eyes widely. She pulls back her shoulders and drops them down rolls up the sleeves just a tiny bit from her wrists. The shirt is enveloping warmly. The skirt is swaying flattering. The rain has stopped. People drift by swinging folded umbrellas. 
The butter biscuit tin boxes shine in the display window across the street. She lifts the cup and takes a sip of warming black tea with milk. Marvelous time of the day to everyone. Thank you for listening to the story. I hope that my story has allowed you to unwind today. The narrative is not packed with action, but I wanted to keep it simple so as to give my full attention to smaller details that usually pass unnoticed and are swallowed by bigger events. So I wanted to cast some warm, well-merited light on the toffee wrappers, soft fabrics, textured book covers, things that make our daily life so special. The driving inspiration for this story came in form of an outfit worn by Oma Thurman for, I believe, the Cannes Film Festival of the early 2000s. Then I needed to think of a more boring location to put my heroine in. She's not me entirely. We might share a resemblance, but we are not the same person. The bookshop seemed like a perfect fit for an outfit, and yes, I pair a place to an outfit and not vice versa. Also, I do associate the interior of bookshops with autumn. All the books mentioned I've read and have loved. So this is behind the scenes of my writing process. Thank you once again for listening. I will be back very soon. Have a lovely day and salut!